Good morning. Again, uh, this morning we're continuing our series uh, called Abide. And uh, again, the reason that we are doing this series is because we're trying to move through our SunWest values over the course of this year. Uh, And so the majority of our sermon series for 2016, uh, 2017, will be um, around uh, our values. And the value that we're looking at right now is intimacy with God. Uh, And we've kind of defined that as creating time and space in our lives uh, for God to speak. So we've looked at this for a couple of weeks. And the, the reason we call it abide is because of uh, this is the word that Jesus used to describe the relationship that his followers have uh, with him. Uh, and he describes this, this picture that we looked at la- last week between the tree and the branches and, and the branches remaining, uh, sorry, remaining in the vine. Um, and, and so that comes out of John 15. We're going to look at it this morning just very quickly. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 15. We'll also have it on the screen. Um, and before I go further, I just want to give, uh, give some credit um, to Brian Zond, uh, a number, or last year, um, when I was, he's an author and a speaker in the States, and, and last year I was, I listened to some things that he was saying, and I've actually, they've been percolating for a long time, um, and so I've kind of grabbed a hold of, of some of that, and I'm going to develop a little bit of those concepts this morning, so I want to give, I want to give credit there uh, before we continue. So John 15, verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. In some ways, these verses are encouraging, and in some ways, they're discouraging. You know, there's a you know, Jesus talking about cutting off branches that don't produce fruit. And he's also talking about pruning branches that do produce fruit so that they can produce more fruit. And it's my observation that sometimes pruning feels like cutting off. That sometimes in our lives, uh, when God is actually doing, a, uh, doing some pruning in our lives so that we can actually grow grow in our intimacy with him, our relationship with him, that we can produce more fruit in our lives, be more like him. Um, it's not something that feels nice. It's not an easy process. It's actually uh, can be quite painful and discouraging, uh, but it is a necessary part of our growth in our relationship with God. God doesn't call us to remain static or, remain, or just to stay the same. He's actually calling us forward. And for many reasons, which we'll get into, we actually resist moving forward in our relationship with him. Uh, and sometimes we're looking to stay static, but God's intent in moving us forward and drawing us closer, um, and that challenges us, and it hurts sometimes, and, and the process isn't always easy. Last week, we looked at this, this character of John and talked about how John had this intimate relationship with Jesus that was unique to him, uh, that the other disciples uh, actually didn't even have the same relationship that John had. But because of the Holy Spirit, this relationship that John had is actually available to each one of us. And so we look at John and we're like, man, that's, that's the type of relationship I want to have. We kind of get this picture like it's this very just awesome, easy, you know, John lying at the table with Jesus and they're talking and, you know, it's just, that's the relationship I want with Jesus. But in reality, to get to that point in a relationship with Jesus actually takes uh, quite a journey and quite a bit of work. And, and so this morning, instead of 
talking about John, I actually want to focus on Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Because I think there's something about that, that Mary and her journey has to teach us as we, as we think about our relationship with Jesus, how we grow with him, how we develop a relationship with him. And so Mary was born in Nazareth. It was a tiny town in, uh, called, it was a ta- tiny town in Nazareth called Galilee. About 1,600 people lived in that town. And it was during the reign of uh, King Herod, Herod the Great. And Herod was this violent uh, king. He was an insecure king. Um, but he had a lot of military power. And anytime you have insecure leaders with power, it's a dangerous thing. (laughs) I'll just leave it right there. Um, (laughs) So Herod, this insecure leader who has this tremendous amount of power, who's a puppet king for Rome, who is actually a part of actually ensuring the Roman occupation uh, in the land of Israel over the Jewish people. This is what Mary was living under at the time. And Nazareth was of little importance. And in fact, in John 146, uh, we read somebody responding and saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so this was kind of the, the concept or the, the connotations around uh, Nazareth itself is that it's this peasant, low-class community, and nothing good's ever come from Nazareth. And so it wasn't even held in that high esteem. Uh, This was the land that Mary, or this is the town that Mary uh, was in. Uh, We know that in the Christmas story, she was visited by an angel, told uh, told that Jesus would be the son of the God Most High, that he would sit on David's throne, uh, that he would reign over Israel, uh, that he would... Uh, you know, these, these ideas around a Messiah. And so the Jews believed that there was this coming Messiah that would establish a kingdom uh, that would overthrow this Roman kingdom and this kingdom would last forever. And, and Mary was told, this is your son. This is what he will do. She was born into the peasant class. And in the peasant class, people acting, you know, etched out a living through agriculture, small commercial ventures, um, such as carpentry, which was uh, Jesus' father, Joseph. That's what he did. Um, or even more accurately, probably some stone masonry as well. And so that was the, the family business. Um, because Galilee, or because now this was, was a small town, he likely had to go elsewhere uh, to find work. Peasants made up 90% of the population, and they bore the burden of supporting the state and that small privileged class in Rome. When we think of Roman oppression, obviously after the birth of Jesus, Mary and her family had to retreat and go to Egypt uh, because Herod was intent on killing all the boys that were two years and younger, and that was just the type of king that he was. In fact, we know from history when Jesus was about 10 or 11 that a Jewish revolt broke out in Galilee against Roman occupiers. And this was in the city of Sephora, again, the big city that was close to where Jesus grew up, likely where Joseph was working. Uh, and After it was crushed by the Romans, they crucified 2,000 Jewish men outside of the city. So let's put ourselves in Mary's shoes for a second, that she's raising this boy. You know, when he's he's born, they have to retreat, they have to go to Egypt uh, because she's scared for his life. She's raising him in this small peasant town. Uh, Close by, there's these drastic events that are happening where their countrymen are being uh, crucified. 
And Jesus himself, probably born in the year 5 or 6 BC, likely began his ministry in 28 AD, around the age of 30, more likely around 32. We know, we know very little about him when he was a child. We know that when he was around two uh, is actually when the Magi probably would have came and visited him that we talk about in the Christmas story. Uh, we know what happened when he started his public ministry because that makes up the majority of the gospel accounts. Uh, but other than that, uh, during those childhood years of growing and living in Nazareth, uh, we don't know much besides what we know about the culture, about the, re- the Jewish religion at the time, uh, the Roman culture, uh, the, and the details around that. And so we can kind of make guesses as to what life would have been like for Jesus. But we do have one story. We do have one story of Jesus uh, when he was 12 years old, and this is in Luke chapter 2. So you can turn to Luke 2 if you like. Uh, scripture will also be on the screen. Luke 2 reads this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later... They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't even know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need a search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. So every year, it says every year, as usual, Jesus and his family, and when it talks about his family, it's not just his little family. It's like their whole extended family, their their whole crew, made the 85-mile journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So Passover was uh, this annual uh, festival that the Jewish people celebrate to remember when God had delivered them um, from the Egyptians years ago. And so they celebrated that. They remembered that every single year. And every year, the family would make the trip down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover together. And so we have the situation where they're leaving, and it says that they assumed that Jesus was with them. And when I imagine this story, I can't help but replay Home Alone in my head. (laughs) They're gathering. They're getting ready to leave. There's two vans sitting outside the house. Someone's asked to count the heads. You know, there's Buzz. There's Fuller. You know, we got Uncle Frank. Uh, we We got the whole crew. Okay, load up in the vans. And then they get, and then they leave, and they get in the plane, And then the plane, you know, Mary's mother of Jesus lying there, and she's just trying to think. She's like, I think, I feel like we're we're just forgetting something. You know, garage door. Yeah, I got the garage door. We locked the house. Yeah. Um, You know, we got the papers. Yeah. You know, Joseph just just, just encourages her, honey, we didn't forget anything. We're all good. 
sitting in the seat next to her. She puts her head back. She's like, Jesus! <laughs> I'll stop comparing Jesus to Kevin um, or Macaulay Culkin. That's a... Uh, Metaphors only go so far. So, you know, this is, this is what I picture happening in this story. And so they're like, where's Jesus? And they can't find him anywhere. So they go back and they search the marketplace. You know, they, they go back through their itinerary. Like, where did, we do, where did we go when we were there? And so for three days, they're going back through you know, the itinerary that they had, where they went. Maybe Jesus is in one of those places. You know, the friends that we stopped to visit. Uh, where is he? Three days they looked. I don't know if you've ever lost a child. Has any, any parents here lost, lost their children? It's a terrible feeling. It is a terrible feeling. Last, last winter, um, I was, our family got some ski passes to Nikiska, and, um, and I was teaching our whole family to ski. Um, you know, Lisa skied a little bit when she was younger, uh, but it was really starting again. And so we, we get out in the hill, and I have, I have my wife, uh, my oldest son, my middle son, my youngest son, you know, all learning to ski at the same time. All at different paces, right? So, uh, so you can imagine uh, how, you know, how challenging that is and trying to make sure everybody's happy and this is a good time as a family and they want to come back and try it again. Uh, and so we got, you know, somebody wiping out over here and, uh, you know, we got our youngest kid who, um, you know, just, just does this and goes straight down the hill. Uh, and, uh, you know, Lisa, my oldest son, they're, they're a little bit more careful. They want to do it exactly right, you know, so, you know, they're not going to wipe out. They're just going to go nice and, and easy, which is great. Um, and I'm often caught in between these two worlds. Uh, and so, you know, there, there was one time where, you know, Sai is just cruising down the hill, uh, and, uh, and Lisa says to me, she's like, I'm fine, just go get Sai. And he's like, out of sight. And so I'm like, I'm like tucking it as fast as I can go, trying to catch up to him. And I'm looking at him, I'm like yelling at him, I was like, Sai, you got to slow down. And he looks over at me, you know, however fast we're going, um, not looking straight ahead. He's, he's having a conversation with me. He's like, I don't need to slow down, Dad. Look how awesome I'm doing. Um, but as soon as you run into a person or a tree, it won't be awesome. Uh, it would be good to learn how to stop before you go at that speed. And so this is the world that I was, that I was in, and my mind's being pulled in all these directions. And there was one time where we're skiing, uh, and we look around, and we're like, where's Luke? We don't know where he went. Uh, and, and I look around, I don't see him, so my assumption is, you know, that he's just He's ripping away. He's, he's down the hill somewhere. And so I say, I'm going to go find Luke. And I race down the hill. I'm looking everywhere. I don't see him, don't see him. I get to the bottom hill, didn't find him. You know, then I wait, and the, the rest of the family comes down. And at least I look at each other. He's like, did you see Luke? No, we didn't see Luke, and we don't know where he is. And so it's this frightening feeling. And so we just, you know, do I go back up in the chairlift? But if I go back in the chairlift, obviously he's got to come down at some point. Um, so it's probably better to stay here, right? So, so we stay and we wait um, for what felt like a very long time. Uh, and then eventually, one of the ski patrol people uh, come down the hill with this, this crying kid uh, who was abandoned by his parents, and <laughs> he hasn't tried to ski since. Uh, I'm kidding, he has. Um, but it's a scarring experience. 
Uh, and so when I, when I think of Mary, right, I, I, can, I can sympathize with her as a parent to a degree, but now you can imagine what it's like to lose your child for three days. For three days, she's looking for Jesus. Three days go when she finally discovers him, and he's at the temple calmly having a theological discussion with some rabbis. You know, she didn't, you can expect that she would, she was probably expecting this, you know, child that was freaking out, didn't know where the parents was, but no, he's in the temple, completely at home, having theological conversation, and, uh, and she says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Jesus responds, but why did you need to search? And then Mary slapped Jesus. No. <laughs> Jesus says, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And then it says, but they didn't understand what he meant. Those words weren't easy for Mary to accept or to understand, and this wouldn't be the last time that Mary or other people in, in, in that matter find Jesus difficult or hard to understand. And you can think, Mary gave birth to Jesus. She had this understanding of who Jesus was. It was shaped by their, their culture, their religion, their experiences, the town they grew up in, seeing him interact with other people. And she's like, this is who Jesus is. I, I think I understand who he is. She assumed they were with, he was with them. She travels only to find that he's missing. And so she goes, she finds him in the temple and it's not quite what he, she expected. And in that moment of finding him, she actually has to rethink who Jesus actually is. Who is this boy who after three days sitting in the temple wasn't worried about where his parents were? He said he has to be in his father's house. Um, the rabbis were intrigued and impressed with his wisdom. Um, and it doesn't quite fit. Who is this son of mine? Right? And so the box that she had for him actually didn't quite fit him. And after losing him and, refinding, and finding him, she had to rethink and re-wrestle with who Jesus actually was. This wasn't actually the, it wasn't the only time that Mary lost Jesus. Years later, she would lose him again. So Jesus began his ministry like we said, around the age of 30, 32, um, up until that point, we can assume that he was involved in the family business of carpentry, stone masonry, and, but he felt it was time for him to go and begin his, his public ministry. So he went to Judea, to the Jordan River, to hear the preaching of his cousin John, and John was preaching uh, the repentance of sins because the Messiah is coming, the kingdom of God is coming, so repent of your sins and be baptized. So Jesus was, and from there, he went to the wilderness where for 40 days he had a steep struggle with the devil. And then after 40 days he left the wilderness and went to preach his first sermon back in Nazareth and it didn't go over very well. People didn't appreciate it. Uh, and so he left. He left Nazareth. He left his hometown. He left Mary and his family and began his public ministry. 
So over time, the family began hearing, you know, inklings and rumors about their son, you know, that he was um, engaging in some strong discourse, that he was challenging authorities, uh, that he was healing people, and that he was gathering a following, and there was commotion that was um, kind of just um, circulating around him. And it says in Mark 3.21 that the family thought that Jesus was crazy, that he had gone mad. So they, they set out to find him. So they leave. we got to find Jesus. He's crazy. He's gone off the rails. And so we have this account in Luke 8. Uh, the account's also in Mark. And in Luke 8, verse 19... It says, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get a hold of him, or they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. Ouch. As a mom. And so, you know, after the temple thing, I thought I had a pretty good idea of who Jesus was. You know, and then he left home. And then we went to search for him and try and find him. And when we found him, he didn't respond like we thought he would. And we actually, as a family and as a mother, you know, Mary had to rethink everything she knew about him. That Jesus was defining his relationships and his ministry uh, his loyalty beyond just his blood and flesh family, that, that it seems like he was doing something completely different and new. And so in that moment, as Mary is rethinking Jesus, retrying to understand him, she, she actually has to create a new box to put Jesus into. And we know that Mary was at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And so you can imagine, you believe that your son, you know, is this, and he's got this following, he's the Messiah, he's going to establish this kingdom uh, that is going to overtake Rome, and it's going to be this everlasting kingdom, and then you see him and he's crucified on a cross. That doesn't fit her picture of the king or what the Messiah was supposed to do or be like. What's, what's this all about? And so just like three days at the temple, she's searching for him. Three days, you can imagine a mom, three days after the, um, after the crucifixion, she's spending those three days wandering, searching, questioning, worrying, reevaluating everything she knew or thought she knew. And although we don't have it in the gospel accounts, uh, because Mary was at the crucifixion, I think it's safe to assume that uh, she engaged with Jesus along with um, many other people at his resurrection. And so we imagine this encounter that Jesus, that Jesus and his mother Mary have. It's like, okay, you were dead. You were crucified. You came back to life. Uh, and now you're telling us things about eternity and this kingdom of heaven. And I, I got to reevaluate and rethink everything. And so in that moment, Mary has to actually put Jesus in a different box than she had him in. Mary knows Jesus, she loses him, 
She searches for him, she finds him, and then has to rethink and reevaluate who he is. My guess is that this process of finding, losing, searching, finding, losing, searching is actually the process and the cycle that every single one of us experiences. In fact, I would say that this is the process of spiritual growth and growing in our intimate relationship with God. That we are finite people. And when I, when I, when I refer to these boxes, I'm not, there's nothing negative about these boxes, but the reality is that every single one of us has our own experiences, our own past. Uh, we're part of a culture. We're part of, you, you, each of us have some kind of religious background. Even a non-religious background is a religious background. You know, when we experience these uh, crises in our lives, when uh, our, the education that we've received, we've got these boxes in that w- which enable us to understand something about who Jesus is. And it's always in the context of who we are and where we are. In fact, it has to be that way. That's why, that's why God actually came in incarnate form. He put flesh on and came into our world to reveal himself to us in a way that we could understand. And so we, by default, and you can't even avoid it, we'll put God in a box. And so I just need to say a bit, ca- say a caveat in that is, is that when I'm talking about losing Jesus, it's not that Jesus actually leaves or that Jesus changes. In fact, Jesus is unchanging. God is unchanging. But our perception of him changes. Our understanding of him is limited. And as we grow in relationship with him, our understanding of him becomes challenged. Our relationship with him becomes challenged because he's not just a human, he's God himself. You know, people throughout history have referred to this, that season as the dark night of the soul where God seems distant, you don't know where he is. It's not a crisis of circumstance, it's a crisis of absence. And God draws us forward by seemingly departing from us And I don't want to pretend like this is some kind of game that God plays, but I do think of the game hide-and-seek. You know, when I play hide-and-seek with my boys, I actually want to be found. I mean, it's it's fun to kind of not be found for a a little bit of time, uh, but if I was never found, that wouldn't be very much fun. Uh, In fact, if I didn't want to be found, I could very easily put them in a room and say, hey, boys, count to 20, go downstairs, get in my car, put the keys in, drive away, suckers. (laughs) You will never find me at the Starbucks. But the truth is you you play because you actually want to be found. And and I I believe that, that Jesus actually continues to draw us forward. We... As it says in Jeremiah 29 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That, that God is always looking for us to seek him, to pursue him, to be in relationship with him, to find him. And it's not like a one-time, one-and-done thing. It's a continual cycle that happens in our spiritual journey. Mary had to let Jesus grow up. Jesus wasn't going to be his, her little boy forever. Mary had to let Jesus actually challenge her and her understanding of him being a, you know, a healer and a leader um, and eventually a savior and a king 
And, and these understandings took time. And every time she came to a new understanding, it actually challenged everything that she previously thought or knew about him. It's only in the context of our own lives that we know and understand who Jesus is. And so I think about, I think about my own life. You know, I think, uh, you know, I grew up in a, I grew up in church, um, went to church every single Sunday growing up. And my grandma would give me a loony if I could tell her what this pastor said on Sunday morning. So every Sunday I had a decision to make. Did I want to play with Hot Wheel cars under the pew or did I want to make money today? <laughs> sometimes I play with cars. Sometimes I wanted money. Um, and so I, I, grew up in the, I grew up in church, understanding of God, but it became kind of just routine and stale over time uh, until I started actually engaging uh, in, in summer camp, going to a Christian summer camp. And I can remember having uh, one specific encounter with God, but multiple encounters over the years um, where, where God, for the first time in my life, I felt like God was there beside me and with me. Um, and I was overwhelmed by his presence. I remember crying in a chapel uh, as a boy and everything that I thought I knew about God actually changed in that moment. That God was different, that God was closer, that God um, actually was uh, not, you know, this man in the sky uh, that was so disconnected from what was going on in my life. He was actually with me. You know, if you're anything, if your story is anything like mine as you're growing up, people that you know are experiencing crisis. Um, crisis happens and Family members, friends die. And all of those things, when your world changes, actually changes how you interact and understand God. And so you start asking questions, God, where are you? In light of where I am right now, what I'm going through right now, where are you? And so we search for him. And then we find him. And, and then we, we have to rethink now, what, what is God like? What is my relationship like in light of what has just happened, what I've gone through? I remember when I, went to, uh, when I went to Bible school, you know, so I go to Bible school to study the Bible. Uh, well, I went actually to play basketball. Um, and uh, over time, I learned to enjoy studying the Bible. But so I, I, go to, I go to Bible school, and we start studying the Bible, and I'm, I start grappling with these ideas, and I start to actually get a different picture of what God is like and start having answers to some of the questions I had when I was a kid. But then you get into the real world. You know, you start ministry, you go to church, and you're, you're, you're interacting with people in real life, you know, that are going through stuff with their, their kids or their spouse or, um, you know, there's disease that's hit the, the family or the home, and there's no quick, easy solutions. And all of a sudden, the nice, neat little answers that you had in Bible school don't quite fit anymore. And so because of that experience, you start searching and wrestling and saying, God, where are you? I don't quite understand you. And you grapple with it. And then God shows himself. It doesn't mean that all the questions go away, but you, you learn to, to reevaluate who God is and what your relationship with him is. And in that moment, you put him in another box. And through the years, right, I... I can remember specific events that deeply challenged me, 
that had me question everything and uh, my identity and who I am. And, uh, and so there was a season of wrestling and searching. And then, uh, you know, there was one book I read, and this was, you know, a few years in, in ministry. One book I read, and at the same time I read that book, I had this vivid dream where God uh, came into my mind and challenged everything that I was thinking and I assumed that God was on the same page as me, but apparently he wasn't, and he challenged me very deeply. And I had to choose in that moment whether I was going to hang on to my box and say, God, no, you're not like that. You're actually like this. Or if I was going to let go of the box and rethink and reevaluate what I thought I knew about who he was. You know, you have kids, and it changes how you view God as father. You know, we, uh, my middle son went through a, a tremendously... Um, what, what was difficult at the time for us as family, a, sur- a surgery on his head, and the fragility of life s- sinks in. And, you know, all these moments in my life are times where I, w- I would look and say, God, where are you? Um, my box doesn't fit. I have to rethink who you are. And I search for him until I find him. And then I have to rethink him. And then it's not very long until that box didn't quite fit again either. The process of spiritual growth. Now, boxes aren't bad. And like I said, they're necessary. But the question is, are you aware that you have a box? Are you aware that your relationship with God has a limitation because you as a human have a limited understanding of who God is? That God is God and we are not. A litmus test to whether or not you're aware that you have a box, I would just simply ask, do you find that Jesus always agrees with you? You know, I, I, I talk to lots of people in, in my line of work about God, and there's some individuals I talk to, and I'm like, I'm like floored and amazed that for some reason God always thinks the exact same as them. And to me, it's an indication that they've actually mistaken Jesus for the box itself. I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced that this is what God is like. And, it, and if this happens long enough over time, we, we, we observe people getting more defensive. We observe, um, you know, people drawing lines in the sand about what God is like, what God is not like, um, because we've actually lost the objectivity of looking at a relationship with God, and we think that that our understanding is the understanding of what Jesus is like. And we need to learn from Mary and follow Mary's example of actually letting go, rethinking, searching, sorry, searching, finding, rethinking, and allow that cycle actually to happen into our, in our lives. So I'd ask you this morning, where are you, where are you in that cycle? Mark 6, 1, 1 to 3, I, I don't have it on the screen, but I just want to read this quickly. And I'll invite the worship team at this, at this time to come up. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right there among us. They were deeply offended 
and they refuse to believe in him. And so can you hear it? Jesus is teaching, preaching, and they were amazed. But then they said, hey, wait a second. We know Jesus. He's a, he's a son of Joseph and Mary. And these are his brothers and sisters. And in that moment, they actually had a choice to actually let go of their box, to grow in a deeper understanding of who Jesus was, to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus himself. And they, in that moment, chose to embrace their box instead of embracing Jesus. Now, I hope this morning that, A, some of you feel encouraged. Because I believe that some of you this morning are in this period where you're searching, asking, and questioning God, where is God? Some, something's kind of changed in your world and you're having to, to actually search for him and wrestle with him. And I want to encourage you because that is not a sign that growth has stopped. It's actually an indication that Jesus is inviting you into a deeper place, into a, a deeper understanding of who he is and a deeper relationship with him. You don't want to actually have everything stay the same. And even though change hurts, even though that pruning hurts, um, that distancing that we feel is a necessary process as we pursue Jesus because he's God and he is not and he's always going to lead us into a deeper place. He's always going to lead us to a place um, that we're a little bit uncomfortable with, that we actually have to rethink everything that we thought we knew about him. Let me be very clear that there's things about Jesus. Uh, I'm not saying that everything about Jesus is up for grabs. Uh, th there's things about him you know, who he is as king, as savior of the world, the, you know, his death, his resurrection, uh, the need for us to, to follow him and receive forgiveness of sins. You know, uh, you know I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that those are the types of things that are up for grabs. What I am saying is those things are deep mysteries that we encounter in new ways over the course of our life. And so if you're in that place of searching this morning, I want you to be encouraged to know that this is actually a necessary part of bringing you to the next box. And these boxes aren't bad. These are actually significant points in our journey where we can look back and say, man, look at what God did in my life. Look at how he incarnated himself. Look at how I encountered him in a way that I understood and it was real to me. And that's then, and that's great. And then we get to a new place and it's like, he does it again, and then he does it again. And we actually look back and we see all these boxes and they're a testimony to how God has actually grown us over time. And it wasn't always easy, and we had to rethink, and we had to challenge ourselves, but we look back and we say, wow, God's been faithful, and he knew what he was doing. Even in those hard seasons in between, he actually drew me further and further into relationship with him. The challenge for us is don't, don't hang on to the box at the expense of pursuing Jesus. So I invite you to stand this morning. And I just want to, yeah, I just want to pray over you. And um, Father, this morning, I recognize that some people in this room are in a place of significant, um, it's, they're at a significant milestone in their life where they have discovered you 
and they've encountered you in a new, fresh way. And Lord, I just want to say thanks that you are faithful to reveal yourself to us, to show yourself to us, to, to, to actually engage with us, us, us in a relationship and that you just don't hide forever, um, but you actually intended to bring us to yourself. So I just want to say thanks to those people in the room, uh, Lord, this morning that feel like uh, they are in that, that sweet spot right now, what feels like a sweet spot of, of closeness and intimacy with you, um, and that's to be celebrated. Lord, I think of those in the room right now that feel like they're searching, that what they understood doesn't quite fit. And they're asking questions and they're wrestling. And Lord, I pray for uh, just that they would be encouraged by your spirit this morning, that they would feel comfort uh, in letting go of past boxes the way that we've boxed you in and embracing the adventure and the mystery of discovering who you are in a new way. Lord, I apologize for the times that we let our boxes actually limit our journey with you, where we become defensive, where we become opinionated, where we think that we figured it out and we, for some reason, start to think you always agree with us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would save us from ourselves. Lord, I pray for the spirit of humility that happens over time as we look and we say, I can see that all along the way, even though I was sure of some things, I wasn't sure of everything. And so because of that, I walk with confidence in my relationship with Jesus, but I also walk with a sense of humility that you're far bigger, far better, uh, far more mysterious than I ever thought you were. So thank you, God, that you want to abide with us. And I pray that that abiding would continue to happen and that we would move forward with courage in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so I feel, I, I hope you feel encouraged and you can, this morning, as you kind of think through um, where I am on this ongoing cycle of, of uh, a spiritual growth and relationship with Christ. Uh, and that whatever season you're in, uh, re- recognizing that you're not going to be there forever. Uh, and for some of us, that's frightening. For some of us, that's encouraging. Um, but, I, but I pray that in general, that you would feel encouraged as we continue to abide in Christ and recognize uh, how this actually tends to feel and look over time. I just want to highlight a few things uh, just for today. Uh, it's Growth Tracks 101 today. Um, and so we're just looking to connect with anybody who doesn't feel connected. Uh, maybe you're new here. And we just want to connect with you very quickly over lunch. We're doing, actually doing lunch at the theater today. Um, and so we don't want to take a lot of your time. but just want to, uh, yeah, t- just to meet you or to have a conversation with you. Uh, and the theater has actually let us book a room uh, here in their offices upstairs. And so if you're uh, going to, partake in lunch with us and join us for one-on-one, uh, please just go to the Welcome Center um, and uh, I don't know what, what time it is here, but uh, there's, no, there's no rush there, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll probably look to eat lunch around 12 o'clock, so uh, please be around the Welcome Center there uh, at 12 o'clock and we'll, we'll have lunch together. As well, the Mexico meeting, reminder that that's happening today. Uh, and there's deep stream tonight, uh, and and so we invite you to come. Whether or not you participated in the fast this this month, I don't want you to feel like that disqualifies you from uh, deep stream tonight. Please come um, as we worship together, uh, as we hear about what God is doing, and the details for that are in your bulletin. Uh, and let me pray for you. And again, every Sunday, if if you like to receive prayer for anything, 
uh, whether it's something to do with the cycles we've talked about, you know, whether there's physical healing you need uh, in your life or, or a circumstance that you're in um, that you just want to come together in community and lift that up to God together. Our prayer teams are available uh, at the front uh, and also in the foyer uh, at the prayer sign. Uh, so please take advantage of that. Jesus, we again just acknowledge that we need you, that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, we know that 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 decision to remain in you, Lord, involves pruning. We know that it involves a level of discomfort and disillusionment and searching and wrestling sometimes. Uh, but Lord, you do that with us because you're not okay with us just staying the same. You want to bring us into greater Christ-likeness. So God, we thank you that you have grace for us, regardless of how long this takes, that you're patient, that you're gracious, that you're kind. Uh, but Lord, also that you're faithful to bring about uh, what you want to do in our lives. And so we just continue to commit our lives to you and say, Lord, have your way in us, in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.